Well, it's good to be back. It's good to see you all. I want to welcome all of you. Thank you for being here today with us. I want to welcome our dear brother Claude and Dale. We thank you so much for being here. We love you so much. I want to say hello to you. Welcome all our visitors. Thank you for being with us, our special guests. And of course, the praise team. Don't we have a great praise team? You know? I'm not sure about the drummer, though, but... <laughs> well, here we are once again. Got a special word, I believe. I mean, everything from God's word is special, but if you brought your Bibles, not your phones, I repeat, your Bibles, I still believe in the Bible. I, 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 I have a phone, but I, I can't figure out how people can read their phones. I was in a church, I've been visiting churches during my vacation time, and I, I couldn't believe it. Honestly, I guess it's the sign of our times. And I've gone into some pretty uh, well-known churches, and uh, I couldn't believe it. I, I'm looking around, and, and nobody has their Bibles. They have their phones, but they don't have their Bibles. Pastor Julia, you've got to help me out here. I, you've got a phone. I'm getting nervous. I, Got to dismiss the children. I don't know why the children have to hear this, but God bless the children as they bring dismissed to go downstairs. We are in Mark chapter 6. So if you brought your Bible, Mark chapter 6, we are in verses 30 to 44 of Mark chapter 6. My wife is signaling me something. I don't know what it is. Is there something I've, something wrong? Uh, do I look the same? Have I lost something? Have I, my pants are... Oh, oh my zipper is down. After two months... After two months of absence, I come back and my zipper's down. I, wow. This one's going to go down in history. I'm telling you right now, this one will go down. Talk about embarrassment. That's okay. That's all right. Forgiveness isn't in order, I guess. You're trying to be discreet, but it didn't work. My wife was worse. She's going. Oh, my goodness. I forgot. What text are we in? I lost focus. Am I going to be able to preach after Julia? You're ready to preach? I think I've lost it here. That's okay. Those on Facebook and YouTube don't even try to understand what's going on. Mark chapter 6, verses 30 to 44. The Bible tells us, And the apostles gathered themselves together unto Jesus and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there are many coming and going, and they had no leisure so much as to eat. And they departed into a desert place by a ship privately. And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran a foot thither out of all the cities. And out went them, and they came together unto him. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people, 
and he was moved with compassion towards them. The word compassion is a Greek word that means literally that his stomach was turned into knots. He was overwhelmed because they were as a sheep not having a shepherd and he began to teach them many things. And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, this is a desert place. And now the time is far past. Send them away, that we may go into the country round about, unto the villages, and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat, Lord. Jesus answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. And they said unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred penny worth of bread, and give them to eat? And he said unto him, How many loaves have you? Go and see. And when they knew, they said, well, five loaves and two fish. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and by fifties. And we had taken the five loaves and the two fish I want you now to notice the order. He looked up to heaven and blessed and broke. He blessed and he broke. He blessed and he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he. And went among them all. And they did eat, all eat, and were filled. And they took up twelve baskets full of fragments and of the fishes. And they did eat of the loaves and were about five thousand men. Five thousand men. The Bible tells us that Jesus is in a particular place and he's preaching. People are coming from all over to hear him preach. And they gather in a particular area. 5,000 men. But the truth is, according to scholars, there were approximately 15,000 people there. Men, women, and children. They've gathered to hear him speak. Because Jesus didn't speak like ordinary people. He didn't speak like the Pharisees or the Sadducees. Jesus spoke uniquely. He was different. He didn't speak like mere men. When Jesus spoke, spoke certain things happened. When Jesus spoke, the natural elements of the world shifted course. There was something in the words of Jesus. Jesus speaking hours have passed and the people started getting hungry hours have passed they didn't look they didn't have any watches then but they didn't look at their the time they, the time just flew by hours have passed they weren't even thinking of food 
They were more concerned about hearing the words of Jesus. They were more concerned about the words that they were hearing. They were hungry for God. And it reminds me of the book of Job. I believe it's the 23rd chapter, the 12th verse that Job said, I've esteemed your words more than my necessary food. They were more hungry for God's word than their own appetites. But didn't Jesus say that blessed are those who hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. Friends, that's the key in your walk with God. Here we have a story of Jesus feeding physically these people, but the truth is God is looking for a people that are hungry for his word. And that's why the devil is after your hunger. Because if he has your hunger, he's got you exactly where he wants you. Stagnant. I've esteemed your words, Lord. I'm hungry for you more than my physical appetites. I'm hungry for you more than my needs. I'm hungry for you more than anything else. Is there anybody in the house who's hungering and thirsting after God's word? Here we have 15,000 people gathered together. Jesus has no microphone. He's got no television ministry. He's not on YouTube or the internet. Word got out. You know, sometimes we think we, if we can advertise better, if we can do this better, if we can just, just find a way where we... Let me tell you something. If God is speaking, if things are happening, if God is moving, you can be sure people will hear it and they will gather to hear what God is doing they will gather to see what God is doing but now there's a situation the people are getting hungry they didn't seem to care but the disciples cared they were more concerned and now they tell Jesus Jesus we need to send them home because hours have passed and, and they got to go back some of them to their families uh, we can't keep them here and besides Lord we've got no food to, 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 to give them well, well, we'll go buy some food then. No, but we don't have the money to do that. We don't have the food. Jesus, send them home. And then Jesus says something that didn't make sense. He says, okay, okay, well, well, well what do you have? How many loaves are there? Are there any fish in this gathering? Why would Jesus ask such a thing? Even if there was some fish, it certainly couldn't, couldn't feed 15 thousand people oh, Jesus we, we don't have all we have is just just a, some loaves and some fish a few loaves and a couple of fish we, we, we've got a boy's lunch got somebody's lunch here somehow this boy brought some lunch we have his lunch Jesus if, 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 if that's what you want I I, I don't understand. But my friends, every time Jesus asks a question, any time Jesus is about to do something, there is always a lesson to be learned. And Jesus is going to use these fish and loaves as an ob object lesson that will change the disciples' lives and the people's lives forever. All we have is this little boy's lunch. 
Definitely nothing significant, Jesus. Nothing of substance. Ah, my friend. But Jesus is going to take what seems to be insignificant and turn it into something significant. Jesus is a God who takes the ordinary and transforms it into the extraordinary. We have a God who takes the mundane and turns it into magnificent. God is about to do something that's going to amaze people that we need to talk about this today that he takes what seems to be insignificant he takes a little bit of oil and 12 jars are filled he takes one little stone that David places upon his sling that one little insignificant stone to slay a monster he takes one insignificant whip an ox goad the Bible tells us in Judges 3 that Shamgar happens to pick up and slays 600 Philistines with a whip he takes the insignificant and turns it into the significant. He took David, whom his father rejected, a little shepherd boy, cleaning up manure in the fields. Father didn't even care for him. That when Samuel came to anoint the next king of, of Israel, he looked at his boys, the boys that he elevated, Jesse's sons that he thought were significant. And Samuel says, no, 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 no. Is there anyone else? Jesse? Oh, yeah, but he's insignificant. He's, he's cleaning the, the manure. What people look to others as mere shepherd boys, God looks at that shepherd boy and he sees a king. He takes what is insignificant and turns it to something significant. And now Jesus separates the groups into fifties, hundreds. He's organized. Something's about to take place. And I want you to notice he takes the five loaves, the Bible says, and the two fish. And he does two things that begin with B. He blesses and then he breaks. Notice the order. He blesses and then he breaks. He blesses. He gives thanks. He breaks and then he distributes. Oh, I see a lot of life lessons here, my brothers and my sisters. Jesus is blessing something that seems that it's not enough. Jesus is blessing what is not enough. Not enough. How can you bless something that it's not enough? We need a lot more. I've entitled this message something more. And we're going to see something more that comes out of a rock. We're going to see water that's going to come out of a rock. We're going to see something more that didn't seem to make sense. Jesus is blessing something that is not enough. Oh my friends, listen to me. If you cannot be thankful... Here's lesson number two. If you cannot be thankful for what seems to be less, don't ever expect for that less to ever be multiplied. 
stay with me. We're going deeper this morning. You see, my brothers and sisters, we need to stop complaining with what we don't have. I, I, I hear it all the time. We complain for what we don't have. We need to start praising Him for what we do have. We need to stop comparing ourselves with others. I've said this before, we seem to count our calories a lot more than we do our blessings. Have you forgotten what God has done in your life? Have I forgotten how God rescued me when I was in that place of hopelessness? Have I forgotten? Have I forgotten my God in time of my pain and my sorrow? Job said, though he slay me, I'm still going to trust him. I'm still going to praise him. I'm going to give you two T's. Can you trust him when you can't trace him? Can you trust him when you can't trace him? That's why the Bible tells us that everything that have breath praise the Lord. Did not Paul say, whatever state I am in, it doesn't matter if I'm in the penthouse or the doghouse. Whatever state I am in, I have learned. You see, Paul had to go through trials and experiences before he was able to say this. I've learned. I've learned over a course of time. I've learned while I was shipwrecked. I learned while I was stoned to death practically. I learned while I was abandoned by my people. I learned, I learned that whatever state I am in, I've learned to be be content to praise him to trust him you see if you can't praise him in the wilderness then you'll never be able to praise him in the promised land and as we've said before and you've heard over this pulpit our attitude determines our altitude our attitude will always determine our altitude our altitude, where you are spiritually, how high, you are, how high you are, where you are. Do you know that thanklessness is the sign of our times? Do you know that not being appreciative in gratitude, Paul says, is the sign of our times in which we are living in? i got to bring you to, to Romans chapter 1 verse 21. I want to show you a subject, a, a, a verse that we don't see clearly. A verse that we kind of skip over. Because when we talk about the sign of the times in which we live in, we think of earthquakes and famines and pestilence. We think of what Paul says and what Jesus teaches about the four horsemen of the apocalypse. And we look at all the signs in the heavenlies and we look at the signs, what's going on in our world. But we seem to forget this one. We seem to remove this one. But that when they knew God and glorified Him not as God, neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Thanklessness. I see this everywhere. I see this in our homes, in our churches. In our workplace, I see children being raised who are not appreciative of their parents, ingratitude, disobedient, as Paul said, with the sign of the last time, 2 Timothy 3, children will be disobedient. Why? Thanklessness, not appreciating, ingratitude. Jesus gives thanks for what is not enough. Have you been able to give thanks 
for what is enough? Have you been able to give thanks to God when things don't seem to be working out? Are you able to praise Him when you find yourself in some pit? Are you able to give thanks when, when, when all you see are clouds? He blesses what doesn't seem to be enough. Thanklessness, ingratitude, but Jesus gives thanks. And after he praises and blesses God, he breaks it. And that's where we lose count, where the overflow takes place. Where Psalm 23 becomes more vivid. He, he blesses you. Thy oil anoints me and overflows me. Thy cup runneth over me. An overflow takes place as you begin to praise God when you're not enough when you begin to bless God when it seems like it's not enough all of a sudden something seems to take place you know friends the most blessed people I've ever met are always people who have gone through something they've experienced not enough on a regular basis they've gone through a lot of trials and persecution the most blessed people I've ever met are those who've gone through pits and prisons who've gone through hardships as Peter says in 1st Peter chapter 5 verse 10 he says after you have suffered a while I will establish you've suffered and you've gone through the furnace but the Bible says when you go through the furnace you'll come forth pure as gold you're blessed your trials have not become your enemies you've learned to embrace your trials as your friend you've learned to embrace your trials and you've rejoiced over your trials and you've praised God in your trials you bless God when it wasn't enough and you've come forth shining so the blessing is in the breaking is in the crushing it's in the molding the blessing is in the brokenness, the brick. And the more he broke it, the more it was multiplied. Why do you think James tells us in James chapter 1, I believe it's the 12th verse, he says, you are to rejoice when? When things are going well? You are to rejoice when? When you get a promotion on your job? You are to rejoice when? In all tribulation. Can I ask you a question, sir? Have you been able to praise God in your personal tribulation? Or are you blaming your wife or your husband or your sister or your boss? The blessing is in the breaking. Can you thank God for the breaking? Oh, I thought God was killing me. No, God was blessing me. I thought that somehow God allowed me to get hurt over and over again. No, He wasn't hurting you. He was helping you. It kind of reminds me of what the people of Israel said concerning God in Hosea chapter 7. I believe it's verse 13 and 14. They say something powerful that I want to share with you this morning. Hosea chapter 7. Look what it says. Verse 13 and 14. Do we have it, brethren? We're going to get it on the screen in a moment. I'll read it. It goes like this. Watch this now. Uh, 
And they had not cried unto me with their whole hearts when they howled upon their beds and assembled their assemblies. Though, verse 15, though I bound and strengthened them, their arms, though I bound and strengthened their arms, yet they imagined mischief against me. Though I strengthened their arms, they thought evil against me. When they were going through a hard time, they thought I designed it to bring them down. How many times when you go through a hard time, you think somehow God has abandoned you? How many times when you go through the furnace, something enters into your mind, and you say, oh God, why am I going through this? Do you not see my pain? Do you not see my heartache? The people of Israel were saying the very same thing. And God was doing the opposite. He breaks us to bless us. Yes, every time she forsook me, every time I felt betrayed, oh yeah, yes, they thought they were cursing me. God was blessing me. That's why Joseph said one of the greatest statements in the entire Bible after he was mocked and ridiculed by his brothers, after his brothers threw him into a pit, after his brothers wanted to kill him. He looked at them. One day they came to, they came to Egypt to get food. They had no idea that Joseph was the prime minister. He brings them food. They finally get a revelation. Here is Joseph. They couldn't believe it. And Joseph looks at his brothers and he says, You meant it for evil, but... My friends, there's going to be a time that you're going to be thrown into a pit. There's going to be a time that your brothers or your sisters are going to reject you. There's going to be a time that you're going to experience some kind of hardship. And how you respond to that will determine your destiny. Friend, have you ever been broken? Your dreams are broken. Your aspirations, your hope. Somehow things didn't work out the way you thought it should work out. But I have a word for you today, my friend. It isn't over yet. You see, watch this now. Are you ready for this one? This is another life lesson. I want you to write this down. Watch this, watch this, watch this. Sometimes God ruins your plans so your plans won't ruin you. Oh, I got to say that again. I think some of it... Sometimes God will ruin your plans because your plans... You don't see it! Because your plans will ruin you. That's why every door that opens up to you, be careful. Just because it looks good, smells good, tastes good, doesn't mean it's of the Lord. I can tell you how many opportunities I had before I went into ministry. And even while I was in ministry, I had these doors open up. All this money offered to me and all this fame and all this, all these doors opened up to me and it seemed good, looked good, tasted good. And that's what I wanted originally. But oh, I can imagine if I would have said yes to those offers, I guarantee you, you wouldn't have me here today. Not that that matters I mean the point is sometimes what you think you want is not what you need and I want you to see this the power of this text this is important we're gonna get into the crux of what this text is all about stay with me Jesus could have stopped breaking the bread when all the people were fed but no 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 you see you see it's not 
what they ate, but it was in the leftovers. I want to talk about scraps this morning. I want to talk about leftovers this morning. There's a lot of themes in this text. There's a lot of life lessons. We're going to enter into another, another element of this story. I want to talk about these leftovers. What was the purpose? of? Why would Jesus have leftovers? Twelve baskets full. I mean, Jesus purposely designed it that way so that they would have leftovers. He purposely designed nothing that, but this is for free, nothing that happens just happens. There's always a purpose in what just happened. If you're a child of God, you can be sure that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons. If you're being led, if you are a child of God, each and every day there's purpose. Nothing just happens. So why would Jesus have them gather up the scraps and now they've got 12 baskets full of food? Just not clear. Jesus could have been precise like he's always been. You know, God is a God of details. Did he not give specific details how to build the ark? Did he not give specific details how to build the temple? How many cubits? How high? How wide? Specific details how to build the ark of the covenant? Specific details? Specific details how to build this? Yes, of course. God gave specific details. So why? Would this be such an overflow? It, he, he could have just fed them exactly and it would have been over. My friends, i got to share something with you. Did you know that one of the names of our God, El Shaddai, which means more than enough? He's my El Shaddai, the Almighty God who is more than enough. That's what my title says. More. Now why am I saying this? Oh, stay with me. In Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20, we see Paul giving us one of the most powerful verses in the Bible. Now unto him who's able, he's able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all, about all that we ask or think according to the power that works in us. He is more than... This is the New Testament version of what we see in the Old Testament and God providing the manna from heaven. God could have been precise and given them exactly, but he gives them 12 extra baskets. He's my provider. His hand is never shortened. You see, God is saying, when I pour out a blessing, I'm not limited by your capacity. I'm going to do something beyond that you don't even see. I'm going to do something not only for you but for your children and for your children's children. I'm going to do what Malachi says that you won't be able to contain it. There are times that God will do things that are, is such an overflow, such an abundance. The Bible says you won't be able to contain it. It could be spiritual, it could be physical. But God is my El Shaddai. He's more than enough. He's not limited by the problems. He's not handicapped. God has no, no issues. He, he's got, not, listen, there are no impediments when it comes to the things of God. God is never scratching his head and saying, wait a minute, how 
how am I going to deal with this problem? Because God is not living in our time. He's outside of time. He's not encumbered by this world. He's not encumbered by the fashions of this world. So when he does things, he does things that many times won't make sense to you. something above all that we ask or think yes leftovers but we need to ask the question what is the purpose of these leftovers Jesus Jesus is saying now gather up these scraps 12 baskets someone said one for each apostle one representing the tribes of Israel we don't know but the question is is this overcooking no Jesus knows exactly what's going on and he arranged it and made it that 12 baskets of excess took place the El-Shaddai performed a miracle the El-Shaddai did more than was needed because watch this now he knew something was about to take place and now he's going to use these baskets of excess as another object lesson. See, whatever God does, there's always a reason. Whatever God does, there's always a purpose. And so we need to ask a question. Again, we keep asking, what is the purpose for this excess? Why would he have them gather these scraps? Well, Someone said, well, pastor, maybe because when they get hungry again, they'll have these baskets of food. Hey, I'm not going to get hungry again, pastor. So maybe they got 12 baskets representing the tribes of Israel, and maybe when they get hungry, they're going to eat bread that's been out for many hours, and they're going to eat fish that's been in the hot sun for hours. Uh... uh <laughs> I, you know, I, I love fishing, and I, I go fishing, and you know, when I'm in Florida, especially, and you know, I'll tell you something. You put fish out in the sun for more than a half hour, you better hold your nose pretty tight because it's not going to smell very good. And you're telling me that you're going to have fish, and you're going to have the fish keep it in the basket for a couple of hours till I get hungry. And what about the bread? Is it not going to get stale? No, 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 friends, it cannot be. It cannot be because if they get hungry, they'll have it in the fridge somewhere. It doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. And besides all that, if God multiplied the fish and bread, do you not think he can do it again? Of course he can. So I emphatically disagree with you, sir, that Jesus told them to do this so that when they get hungry, they'll have the leftovers to eat like you do when you eat, make a meal and you put it in the fridge. And pasta tastes better the next day they say I don't know <laughs> Pastor Josh tells me it does I'm not sure but I can guarantee you Pastor Josh that a fish that's left over does not taste better <laughs> no there's got to be another reason there has to be why these scraps well Jesus performs this incredible miracle and all of a sudden he releases the disciples to go on a boat to go into the Sea of Galilee and as the disciples are on the Sea of Galilee 
which is not really a sea. It's not really salt water. It's fresh water. People get confused. Is it, is it salt water? No, it's fresh water. And watch this now. The disciples are on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. Jesus told them to go. And while they're on this boat, Jesus goes to a mountain. The Bible tells us, and he begins to pray. Now, sends his disciples in the water, and he goes to the mountain. Now, why would... Well, there's many reasons, but I'll give you one or two. Jesus is the Theoanthropos, the God-man. He also needed to be strengthened. He went to pray to his Father for strength. He just came through a battle, a miracle, feeding of the 5,000, God's power released. You know, friends, whenever God moves, you can be sure that a battle will ensue. You think the devil's happy that you've experienced the power of God in your life? You think the devil's happy with these miracles that are taking place and God using you? We're in a battle. And he's on the mountain. He's seeking his father. He needs to be recharged. Let me tell you something, friends. The devil will come and try to destroy you, as I've said over and over again, two different times in your life. When you're at your lowest and when you're at your highest. We just have a miracle here. The power of God's being released. Jesus goes to the mountain. They that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. And he did that over and over again. He spent three years in Galilee in his ministry, but he spent all night in prayer. Many, many times. Oh, the power of prayer. And so while he's praying, waiting on his father, the disciples are on a boat. He's praying quite a while. All night's a lot. Has anybody ever prayed all night? Don't answer me, it's a rhetorical question because if you put up your hands, every one of you, uh, we'd have to have a repentance service a little bit later on. <laughs> Jesus is praying all night. The sun has gone down, the temperature has cooled, and now the winds have begun to blow. And bad weather, inclement weather, a tempest breaks out, a storm breaks out. We have Sister Gail here in Cloud. How often have we heard of stories on the Sea of Galilee where a sudden storm comes out of nowhere? Is that not true, Brother Claude? He knows. He's been in Israel about 50 times. He knows. The Sea of Galilee is known. You can have calm waters and all of a sudden a storm comes. And Jesus is on the mountain and the disciples are in this boat being tossed back and forth by this storm that came out of nowhere. And this boat now is under siege and they're filled with fear. This is extremely important that they were filled with fear. Important because Jesus now is about to reveal the life lesson. Jesus is about to teach his disciples another lesson that they needed to learn. And so his disciples are on the water 
Jesus is on the mountain and there's a distance between Jesus and the problem. There's a distance between Jesus and the disciples. There's a distance between Jesus and the storm that the disciples were experiencing. And Jesus knows exactly what's going on. He's aware. He knew that when he would go into the mountain to pray, he knew there'd be a storm because he's the omnipotent, omniscient God. He's never caught off guard. He knows exactly what's afar off. He knows exactly what you're going through. He sees the number of hairs on your head. He knows you by name. He knows your address. And he sees exactly what you're experiencing. And he sees those tears that nobody sees when you're alone at night. He knew there was a storm. That's why he left. Because he's going to teach them something that you can never learn unless you go through the storm. That's why the Bible tells us in Isaiah, when thou goest through the fire, not around it, but through it, you will not get burnt. When the waters come against you, they will not overwhelm you. There's a distance between Jesus and the disciples. The storm is breaking out. But he already knows. And so this distance between the problem is here, the water, the storm is here, but the power of God is over there. Jesus, a picture of God, is God, the power of God, the miracle-working God, the way-maker, is here on the mountain and the disciples are on the water being tossed like a leaf in the wind and there's a distance and so we got a problem here. We have a problem here. There's some restrictions. There's some, there's some issues here. Some, it was dark. It's about 3 o'clock in the morning. It's black and dark. Ominous cloud. It's, it's, it's a different... It's distracting. There's nothing but chaos. Obstacles. And God is not here. Have you ever been in a place where it's dark and there's obstacles... The storms are raging, you feel all alone, and somehow you think that God is somewhere far away. You don't see Him, you don't feel Him, you don't sense Him. You're, you're on this boat, you seem to be abandoned, there's a storm coming from every angle, and yet, where's Jesus? I, I, I don't see Jesus. There's, I don't see Him, I don't, I don't feel Him, I don't. But my friends, are you ready? Listen carefully. When God is ready to come to you, despite all the problems and the hindrances and the impediments, no weapon that is formed against you shall prosper. The Bible doesn't say that there won't be a weapon. I repeat, the Bible doesn't say that there won't be a weapon. There's all kinds of weapons that are out to kill you. There's all kinds of weapons that are out to, to bring you down. And, and the devil will use all kinds of people, sometimes the closest people, to bring you down. But there's no weapon that's formed against you, that's going to prosper because God said, I'm a very present help in time of trouble. You might think, I'm somewhere far away. But I'm closer than you think. 
Jesus doesn't have to hire someone. Jesus doesn't have to hire someone to take a boat and bring them to his disciples to help them. He doesn't need a boat. doesn't need people to help him. He doesn't need anything to come to that problem. He doesn't need anything to facilitate the answer to that problem. No, 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 no. All of a sudden, all of a sudden, Jesus just shows up. All of a sudden, in three o'clock in the morning, it's dark, it's ugly, the storms are raging. All of a sudden, the God of the suddenlies just shows up. He, there's no boat there. There's no captain of a ship. There, there's nobody there to take him across this storm. Nobody would. He just shows up. I'll tell you why. Because he's the water-walking God. He's the one who's able to do what? He doesn't have to be encumbered by the natural things of this world he just shows up just shows up Jehovah Shammah the Lord is there just shows up on the water he walks on the water oh my friends he walks on the stuff that you are about to drown in he walks on things that you will be brought down but he walks on top of it because he's a lifeguard that's able to save he's my eternal lifeguard he's a water walking lifeguard and he's about to do something so powerful that doesn't seem to make sense but like David said in Psalm 18 he's gonna reach down and rescue me he's gonna reach down and rescue me from drowning I may have not seen it I don't understand it I don't see him but somehow in the spirit realm I know that he's gonna reach down he's gonna reach down because his hand is not shortened the Bible says but I don't know it yet because I'm still moping over my trial I don't know it yet because I'm still being governed by my circumstances I don't know it yet because I'm too busy being offended by what she said and what he said. So I don't see it yet. In fact, my faith has gone into an eclipse because I'm walking by sight rather than by faith. I'm drowning, Lord. I'm drowning. Now you'd think that, watch this now, going to phase number three watch this watch you think that Jesus coming for them he'd be coming to rescue them we just said that you think that Jesus who's walking on the water will just make a beeline towards them perform a miracle and just bring them to land you'd think that but that's not what the Bible says something crazy happened something that doesn't seem to make sense again things don't always have to make sense my friend in fact whenever God is moving nine times out of ten it won't make sense but he doesn't he came near them but not to them they're over there and he makes as if he would pass by now 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 hold on a second have we seen this before absolutely Absolutely. Luke chapter 24, I want to show you a nugget of truth that really helps me understand this text. Luke 24, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes 
were holden that they should not know it. Stay right there. And then, watch this. And he said unto them, keep going, what manner of communications are these that ye have one another as ye walk and are sad? And so Jesus, the Bible says, as the disciples were questioning what's going on, where is Jesus? They thought he would rise from the dead. They're going to Emmaus, these two disciples. Jesus just shows up and acts as if he doesn't know anything. He says, what's going on here? This is Jesus, the resurrected Jesus, going to the disciples who were in confusion and in doubt of the resurrection. Take me to the later verses, please. Now watch this. Have we seen it? We've seen it even again, even clearer. 28, look what it says. And they drew nigh unto the village, whether they went, and he, Jesus made as though he would have gone further. Verse 29, but they constrained them, saying, Abide with us, for it is towards evening, and the day is spent. Terry, what? So watch this now! Point one. Two disciples are depressed, discouraged, are going to emesis, they're confused. Jesus just shows up and acts as if he doesn't know what's going on. Point number two. At the end, when Jesus reveals who he is, the Bible says he was about to leave he was about to leave and these two disciples constrained him. They said, no, Jesus, please stay with us. Don't go. Stay with us. Stay with us. Don't go. Stay with us. He knew that was going to happen, but he acted as if he was going to leave. What is my point? Jesus wanted to teach them something. He wanted to show them something. We see a similar scenario. Jesus is on the water and he's near them, but he's not there to help them at that moment. Something needs to be learned. They didn't recognize him in the storm. They thought he was a demon or a ghost. This isn't, this is a ghost. They said, Excuse me? How many times, how many times, my friend, and I speak to some of the cults and some of these false teachings. How many times do we see God, but we don't think it's God? We think it's a demon. Oh, don't let me stop here. How many times do we think this cannot be from God? This must be the devil when it's exactly what God is doing. But you don't have eyes to see. Because you're too governed upon your circumstances. You're too governed upon the flesh and the now that you can't discern This must be a ghost, they said. No, it can't be. This, this, this is Jesus. can't be. Somehow we think that Jesus needs to look a certain way for him to be Jesus. Sometimes we think that Jesus has to have a three-piece suit when he comes to visit us. Sometimes we think Jesus comes to us in a certain way or he has a certain demeanor or a certain mindset. My friends, that's not always true. We just told you, God doesn't always make sense. Because God's ways are not. And sometimes he will do something that will confound the wise in their own conceit. Because you are so proud, you think you've got God figured out. 
My friends, don't ever put God in a box. That's what religion does. It tells you exactly how God is, what he does, how, where, what. Listen, my friends, God is not encumbered by space or time or the finite realm. And because he's not encumbered by the finite realm, he'll do something that is outside the finite realm. And when things are done outside the finite realm, sometimes we who are finite creatures don't understand it. And so what do we do to make sense? This must be the devil! It's a ghost! No. No, it's not. No, it's not. I've had this before in my life. I've experienced these things. God's moving remember there was somebody in our church years ago God was pouring out his spirit people were getting saved and healed and, and sometimes certain things happened that didn't seem to make sense to somebody and I had one board member come up that must be the devil pastor I, that's not the devil I said do you think when God's spirit touches somebody so powerfully you think that person's going to stay nice and quiet and reserved in the corner something's going to matter something's going to manifest when God's spirit touches you you think you're going to no way there's going to be a reaction something's going to happen <sighs> so Jesus comes near them but not to them you see friends there are times that God will not break into your situation here's the life lesson here's, this is one of the greatest life lessons in this text there are times that God will not break into your situation to your pain, to your trial, into your storm unless he is invited in you remember the disciples when Jesus was passing no no can you please stay with us Jesus Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 behold I stand at the door and I knock if anyone hears my voice and opens the door I will come in there's something you need to there is an invitation you must invite him draw close to God and he will what seek and ye shall ask knock what do we see here we see somebody taking the initiative to invite him to draw close to him this is extremely important well you know if God wants he'll do it listen to me we are co-workers with him There's power in prayer. You see, this means I have a responsibility. We can't just be a recipient of His blessing. There's something that you and I need to do most of the time. There are times God will sovereignly show up with nothing you, nothing you can do about it. But, but most of the time, as I see in Scripture, there's something that we need to do. There's a responsibility. Isaiah chapter 1 verse 19. If, 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 there's a choice. If, there's a choice. If you are willing, if you are willing, not only willing and obedient, you will eat the good of the land. You see, there's a choice. Obedience. Calling upon the Lord. He says to call upon me. Did you know that God has a telephone number? Did you know that God has a telephone number? It's found in Jeremiah 33.3. Call upon me and I will answer you and I will show you great things which you know not of. He's got a telephone number. Look it up. Jeremiah 33.3 Call upon me. Here's my number. And I will answer. 
I will answer and I will show you. I will answer and I will show you. My line is never busy. I won't put you on hold. Yeah, 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 yeah. I won't tell you, wait a minute. God will answer. Call upon me. He's asking you to draw close to him. He's asking you to call. He's asking you to pray. He's asking you to intercede. God is saying, I've come as close as I can. And yeah, yes, you need to invite me in. Call me. Come, come, draw. If any man thirsts, let him come. Let him come and drink the waters. Just come and drink. But are you thirsty? You can't come unless you're thirsty. You can't come unless you call upon my name. Oh, friends, I see so much here. You know, for some of us, when we go through trials and pain, some of us have been so hurt, we get hurt often, that when we see a trial that reminds you of your past trial, it disturbs you. And you say to yourself, oh no, here we go again. And you get depressed and discouraged and you're not able to see the hand of God because your hurts have blinded you. Your pain has blinded you. Here we go again. Here comes more trouble. Oh, my friends. The point is, we find it difficult many times to see God in our storm. We find it difficult to see God when we're suffering at times. Because we are so enamored in our pain. We become so self-absorbed in our trial. And we think that we're going through so much that you can't understand because you're not going through what I'm going through. And we become inward and we become self-absorbed and self-contained. And we think that what we're going through nobody can understand because woe is me. Look what I'm going. You know, it's a form of pride. It's, it's, it's the other side of pride. We can't see God. We, and we get even more discouraged. But all of a sudden, here comes Jesus in the storm. He may not appear the way you think he should appear. You may not see clearly because of your pain, because of the storm that's before you. But Jesus, who was a very present help in time of trouble in the midst of your trouble has not abandoned you your pain says he's abandoned you the devil told you he's abandoned you but the Bible says the Bible says he's a very present help in time though the mountains shake with the swelling thereof God is in the midst of her and what that means the mountain shaking with the swelling thereof means whether it's a hurricane or a, or, or, or a volcano or an earthquake that's what the Bible is suggesting an earthquake despite the earthquake you're going through despite the tornado you're experiencing despite the storm you're going through I'm right there in the middle you may not see it but I'm there and I have an object lesson for you I've got something for you to learn if you have eyes to see I've got something for you to learn if you don't allow the storm to cause you to be focused on what you see I've got something to teach you. And so Jesus says, fear not. Here it is. Here's the crux. Why would Jesus say, because they were petrified. They were fearful of the storm. They thought they might die. Jesus approaches them in verse 51. And he says, fear not, 
Be of good cheer. You want me to be of good cheer, Jesus? I'm about to die and drown. There's a storm. My boat is being... You're telling me to be in good cheer? He's telling you to be in good cheer because of what is about to happen. Be of good cheer. Fear not. Peace I leave unto you. Why are you afraid? Can I ask you, my friend, why are you afraid? What is plaguing you? What is causing you to be filled with fear? What is causing you to be so filled with anxiety over and over again? Don't be afraid! Friends, you relax in a bus when you don't know the driver. You relax in a plane when you don't know the pilot. You relax in a ship when you don't know the captain. I got to ask you, my friend, how can you not relax when you know the Lord Jesus Christ? My God! Be of good cheer! Don't be afraid. There's a lesson here. If you can just see, there's, a, there's something to see here. But they didn't recognize his face. They didn't recognize his walk. But when Jesus said, be of good cheer, the Bible says they recognized his voice. My sheep hear my voice. They didn't recognize him, but as they waited and persisted, Jesus spoke and they heard his voice and they recognized, like Mary, that it is Jesus. Like Mary, this must be Rabboni, Rabboni, this is Jesus. I can't see him, but I, I know he's here. I, I can't see him, but I hear his voice. That's a difference between a sheep and a goat. Sheep hear God's voice, goats can't. Goats are stubborn rebellious. You can't teach them anything. They don't know the shepherd's voice, but sheep hear the voice of the Amen. That's why he calls you sheep, and that's why there's going to be a great separation at the end of time. The goats and the sheep. Goats have hair. Sheep have wool. They use it all the time. My sheep hear my voice. Have you heard his voice lately in your storm? Have you telling you be of good cheer? So Jesus gets on the boat. I'm going to close in a few moments, but hang in there. And the winds automatically ceased when Jesus got on the boat. Did you know that? Verse 51. Jesus gets on the boat, and all of a sudden the winds stop. But the, how can that be? Jesus is now invited, comes into the boat, and the winds just stopped. They ceased automatically as he stepped into the boat. Oh, what's the point, Pastor? What? You see, this storm is a teaching moment, an opportunity to learn. Every storm you go through is a teaching moment. 
an opportunity to learn. You see, Jesus didn't say or speak to the wind and it stopped. He didn't do that here in this text. No, no, no. As he walks onto the boat, the waves, the wind just ceased. Just like when they threw Jonah over the boat, the storm just ceased. It stopped. The wind stopped howling. The winds, the storm ceased. You see, I believe this storm was sent to these disciples to learn a lesson. What lesson was it? What lesson? Ah, my friend, those 12 baskets come back into the equation now. Remember I said to you, what's the purpose of these 12 baskets? What's the purpose of leftovers? Can I tell you what the purpose? I never used to see this. I finally see it. I used to think that maybe it was something to eat later. That's not what it was. To teach you something. What is it I need to learn, Lord? Why are you afraid, John, Peter? Why are you afraid, Mary, Thomas? Why are you afraid, James? Why are you afraid, Andrew? Look at your scraps. What? What do you mean? Look at those baskets. What do you mean? Why are you afraid? Have you forgotten what I did just a little while ago? Have you forgotten the miracle? of me feeding the 5,000, I had you pick up those leftovers as a memorial of my power so that when you get into a storm, when you go through difficulties, you'll be able to look at those scraps and say, yeah, God did it before. He can do it again. God did it before. He can do it again. God did it before. He can do it again. Why are you afraid? Have you not seen my power just a few moments ago? But isn't that like you and me? We seem to forget. We forget. We forget. And that's why God tells us over and over again, don't forget my benefits. That's why God told Joshua, build an altar of stone. And when your children ask you, what is the purpose of this altar? You tell them, you tell them how God rescued us, how God delivered us. I don't want my people to forget. Do this in remembrance of me, Jesus said. Oh, my friend, is there something in your boat? Is there some scrap in your boat? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Something in your boat that can remind you of how great God is. Like Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 17, he said, Everybody forsook me, but only God stood by me. Have you forgotten how God stood by you all these years? And now this storm has caused you to become fearful? Oh, my friend, stop worrying about who didn't stand with you or supported you, but rather focus on how God stood with you. A very present, a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. Yes, is there anyone on Facebook? Is there somebody on YouTube? Yeah, yeah, anybody on the internet? Anyone, anyone here at Logos who can say that God has stood with me? 
anybody in the hospital, anybody in the courtroom. Yes, to that pain, that discouragement. And so these scraps are a reminder that God brought you through it before. And he can do it again. When I think about the Lord, how he saved me, how he raised me, how he helped me, how he rescued me, makes me want to shout hallelujah. When I think, when I pick up those scraps, when I'm discouraged, when I think, when I remember those 12 baskets, when we were starving, 5,000 dying of hunger, and there he was making a way for me. I didn't think I'd make it. I thought it would kill me, but God wasn't killing me. He was helping me. Have you forgotten? Have you forgotten? Oh, my friend, just because you've had a painful past doesn't mean you can't have a powerful future. Gotta close. I close with this. I close with this. In 1944, During World War II, Corrie Ten Boone from Amsterdam, she helped and rescued 800 Jews from the Nazis. They found her out and they threw her into jail, into prison, threw her into Auschwitz, her and her sister, because she was helping the Jews. They were in these bunks and uh, each bunk had terrible things going on. In the women's cells, they were raped by the German soldiers. They were beaten, flogged. Even women who were guards would abuse them and put cigarette burns in them. Some of the women were being paled their skin to be made lampposts, lampshades. And we've seen that in Israel. We went to visit. We went to a museum and they showed us all the atrocities that happened to the Jewish people. She protected 800, she was thrown into prison, into Auschwitz. And one day, she hears her sister praying, Oh God, thank you for the food. And they had scraps, stale bread. Thank you for the air that we breathe. The air was putrefied. It was stench in that room. They had no toilets. Thank you for the clothes you give me. They were living in... in like pajama-like garments that look holes filled. Thank you, Lord, for the scraps. And Lord, I want to thank you for the fleas. Okay, I, I might get the air and I might get the food, but the fleas. I want to thank God for the fleas. So Corey Timboon asked her sisters, just, but why, why would you give thanks for the fleas? And the Bible says to give thanks for everything, doesn't it? Does not the Bible say to give thanks for all things and in all things? Well, a few days later, Corey Tamboon found out from a German soldier. I don't know how the connection was, but she was able to talk to a German official. And the German official was talking to her. says, do you know why we don't go into your bunk? Do you know why we don't go into your particular bunker? 
She goes, no, because of those God-forsaken fleas. We don't want to get bitten, so we stay away from your bunker. Can somebody shout amen? amen. The fleas. Who gives thanks for the fleas? But it's those fleas that save their lives. Oh, my friends, give thanks for the scraps. Give thanks for the storms. Give thanks for the pain. Give thanks for things that you don't see and understand. Because God's got something that you don't see. He's got a fleece somewhere that's protecting you that you don't see. For all things work together for good. For those who love God. Can somebody shout amen this morning? Let's all stand together please. Hallelujah to the Lamb. We want to give God praise this morning. We're going to sing a chorus as a a song of appreciation and a song of praise and I'm going to ask you to do something but I want you to worship with me I want every head bowed for a moment every head bowed in this room just for one moment have you given thanks for the fleas the pastor here have you given thanks for that problem that seems to be insurmountable have you given thanks when things seem to be not enough? Oh Lord, I thank you for that house even though that's not what I really wanted. But I thank you. I thank you for my job, Lord, even though it's so difficult. I want to thank you even though it's not what I really wanted. I want to thank you, Lord, for the scraps. Because when he blesses, he breaks. And when he breaks, he blesses. I will praise him in the storm. Every head bowed. Just receive it. Bow your head. Begin to give him thanks. I want you to bow your head first just give him thanks and then as we begin to sing I want you to lift up your heads and begin to cry out to the Lord thank you Jesus I'm gonna praise you in this storm I'm gonna thank you for the scraps I'm gonna thank you for the fleas because you're doing something in my life that's gonna work out for my good if I can just have enough faith to believe
Facebook and YouTube I, I know God's speaking to some of you there on, online but I want to talk to the people of Logos this morning you haven't given thanks for the fleas you've been complaining about things you don't have instead of praising him for the things you do have listen friends that storm in your life is an object lesson why do you fear? I did it for you before. I fed the 5,000. Do you not think I can help you now? Like Peter, we've drifted our eyes, are focusing on the storm and not on Jesus. How many would say this morning, Pastor, I gotta, gotta put my eyes back on Jesus. I've been complaining and murmuring and I've lost focus. Yeah, yeah, I've got the scraps in my boat, but I haven't looked at the scraps. I, I've forgotten the goodness of God. I've allowed my pain to, to control me. To, I can't see. When I do sense and I see something, I don't think it's you. I think it's something else and I've said to myself well, 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 what's the use just another trial another pain another storm my friends I'm here to tell you that that's not true I'm here to tell you embrace your pain I'm here to tell you embrace your trial Pick up the scraps that Jesus said and remember what he's done for you because he's going to do it again. Be of good cheer. Fear not. Fear not. I'm inviting everyone in this room. I don't care who you are, where you are, where you're from. It doesn't matter. We may not have enough room, but it doesn't matter. I want you to respond. Remember what Jesus, Jesus didn't come on the boat until he was invited. Behold, if any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come. If anyone thirsts, let him come. I'm asking you now, come to the waters. Not the waters that are drowning you, but the water that can fill you with his glory. Who would say, yes, Pastor, I, I need to come. I need to, 
realign my focus. If that's you, stop hiding, stop rejecting. If that's you, I want you to start inviting Christ. I want you to say, Jesus, will you come into my situation and help me to see you in all of this? Help me to stop blaming others. Help me stop pointing the fingers. Help me to see you in the midst of this. Help me to be grateful again. Help me to be appreciative again. To trust you again. If that's you, and you've been tossed in a storm, and you've got enough humility to admit it, and to say, God, I need you. I need you. I want you to get out of your pew. If you're sitting, if you're standing, I want you to get out of your pew and I want you to come here. We're going to invite Jesus into our crisis. We're going to invite Jesus into my problem. We're going to invite Jesus into my storm. And I'm going to say, Jesus, will you come and help me? Give me eyes to see. Help me see that my trials and my storm are really my best friends. They're not my worst enemies. I know you're going to do something in my life. Help me to see it. Help me to bring it. Will you come from all over? Just want you to come from all over. Don't, don't procrastinate don't hesitate this is the moment that you're inviting Christ to come not to save you for salvation but to save you in this predicament that's drowning you to save you from this predicament that's confusing you to save you from this predicament that's that's causing you to go astray and you've been blaming your wife and blaming your husband and blaming your daughter and blaming your boss and God's saying will you stop blaming and look to me and I'm gonna work in you I've used that as, a, as an object lesson to get your attention so I can go deeper in your life so I can go further in your life Are we going to sing that chorus again, the whole song again? And as we sing that song again, I want you to sing it as a prayer. All those that are here. I want you to sing it. The words are so powerful. And I want you to join us. I want you to sing with us as a prayer. You are praying to God. You are crying out to God. And we're going to use worship and music as an expression of our prayer to God today. That's what worship really was meant to be cry out with me and watch and see what God will do in your life yes Lord I was confused Lord I thought you'd show up right away but I'm still gonna praise you I didn't get it at first I know it's still raining outside oh God (laughs) 